Welcome again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a joy to have you in our service. I want you to picture Jude, if you will, sitting down, twill in hand, ready to write to believers a theology about the salvation they all share in. That's what it means when the King James says, a common salvation, the salvation we all share in. But as he begins to do this, the Spirit of God begins to speak to him. And he probably says something like this. Now, this isn't in Scripture, but I'm not adding to Scripture. I'm just trying to give an illustration. Hey, Jude, hold on, man. Why write about this subject? Don't you know that Paul has already written a complete treatise on the subject of salvation for the Christians at Rome? It deals with salvation in a very comprehensive manner. I want you to write about something else, something that is more pressing at the time. That's when Jude got the feeling to write about contending for the faith. And the Spirit of God changed his direction. Beautiful illustration of how God and man works together for his word to come to us the way we have it today. This tells us that he was sensitive to the Spirit's leading in his life. Jude was sensitive to the leading of the Spirit in his life. He was discerning between his own thoughts and those of the Spirit's. My friend, we need that same kind of discernment today. How many of us confess our own wishes and desires, or confuse, I should say, our own wishes and desires with that of the Holy Spirit because we fail to examine and test our feelings and motivations more carefully against the standard of God's Word? Many times we say we believe God is leading us to do something and all the while it's our own spirit that's doing it. Or sometimes it could be another spirit. We try to cover a lot of our own selfish ambitions by saying the spirit led me to do this or to say this. And all the time we are being led by our own desires and even our own human spirit acting apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit. But Jude, because he was being carried along by the Holy Spirit, whatever that means, he was able to discern that this was in his own thoughts. This was in a demonic spirit. This was the Spirit of God speaking to him. And so he says in verse 3, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So this is what I want you to get a hold of here. These little verses, these 25 verses of this little epistle is the result of the constraint of the Spirit of God upon Jude. This is something the Spirit of God wanted his, the church to know. And he constrains, he moves him along to write it. Now if you do a study of the word, urge there. Perhaps a, another word could be, I appeal. I ap strongly appeal to you, Jude is saying. Now he is not commanding. This is the point. He probably had the authority to command, but he isn't doing it. He's making a passionate appeal to the people of God. 
but it's a strong appeal. It's an appeal that is motivated by the concern of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is imparting this concern to Jude. And he says, I am strongly appealing to you to contend for the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. That's the appeal from the Spirit of God to Jude. And that's what we as preachers always long for. And we know that what we are speaking and what we are appealing to you for or to do is an appeal that is coming from the Spirit of God and not from our own spirit or our own desires. Now the word contend here is also important. In the Greek it's called an intensive term or form of the word. It's a strong word. It means to combat aggressively or to fight strongly for or against. Fight hard is the idea. And in the context of this passage, it means to combat or to fight aggressively or to fight hard for something. What is it? The faith that was once for all delivered to the same. Fight hard for this faith. Struggle aggressively for it. So the Holy Spirit isn't fooling around here. He isn't making a suggestion. This is important. That's what he's saying. Fight hard for the faith. And that doesn't, that, that, doesn't that tell you right away that we should know what the faith is? Otherwise, you wouldn't know what you're fighting for. In fact, if you don't know the faith, why should you fight for it? The faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Now in this context here, it refers to an objective body of truth. Christian doctrine. The faith here is not your faith or my faith that we place in Christ or we place in God or the word of God. That's a subjective faith. This is an ob objective faith. This is something that we can touch if you want. It's doctrine. It's this. That's what the faith is. That's what we fight for. The truth. I don't mean you fight for this book. I mean the truth of what the faith stands for or represents. Fight for it. The Spirit of God is saying, I want you to fight hard and aggressively for it. That's the day in which they were living. It's the same kind of day we're living in today. So Jude is saying something like this. Your personal salvation of which I was going to write about and which you entered into by personal or subjective faith is actually safe and secure. You don't have to worry about that. God takes care of that. Salvation is taught in the scriptures has to do with God from beginning to end. God chose who he wants to save. He keeps those and he's secure. Bam, that's it. When we talk about eternal security, it has nothing to do with us. God is the one who secures us. Now, we might not have the information or sure of our salvation because we didn't know the faith, but that has nothing to do with security. It has to do with assurance, and it's two different things. 
So Judah's saying something like this. You have nothing to fight or contend for as far as the security of your personal salvation is concerned. But what I am concerned about, Jude, is what you must earnestly contend for. And that is the salvation of your faith. Not the salvation of your soul. You don't have to fight for that. God takes care of that one. But now he's given you a job. What is that? To fight for the salvation of the faith. Amazing concept. You must contend to uphold the integrity and the infallibility of what we believe as Christians as given in the word of God. That's the faith you must fight for aggressively. These are fighting words. These are the kind of words, I've got to put on my boots, I've got to get my helmet, I've got to get my breastplate, I've got to put on my sword of the spirit, I've got to get ready. That's what Jude is talking about here. But you see, today, the kind of Christianity we deal in, man, uh, fight, not me. I want to relax and take it easy. Swing in a hammock on the beach and let the breeze blow. Because I'm secure in myself. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, listen, you've got a fight on your hands. And that fight has to do with upholding the integrity and the infallibility of the faith that was once and for all. Notice now, the faith then is the word of God. The faith is the whole counsel of God. It is that body of truth that makes the people of God what they are. It's the Bible. The Christian's holy scriptures. Jude says that this truth was once for all entrusted to the saints. In other words, it's completed. This body of doctrine, revelation, is a completed body of revelation. Nothing to be added, nothing to be taken away. It is the completed word of God, given finally and once for all in and through the person of Jesus Christ, through his apostles, through the enablement of the Holy Spirit, and it comes down to us today in that form. This, Jude says, is what we must fight for aggressively. Are you ready for battle? Are you? But you see, this is where we come face to face with a major problem. Now, if you know that there is a battle coming on, and in order for you to win that battle, you have to have well-trained, well-equipped men, wouldn't that be who you look for? But see, that's one problem with the church today. We don't have well-trained, well-equipped people in the scriptures. They just don't know the word of God, generally speaking. They don't know the word of God. Most Christians today don't know their Bibles. They don't know the faith. They don't comprehend the wonderful truth of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. They don't know what it really teaches and therefore when it is mishandled, when it is misrepresented or attacked by false or erroneous teaching, they're not even aware of the fact that that's what's going on. They're just not aware of it. They laugh. They don't see the seriousness of it. In the words of the writer to the Hebrews, most Christians today have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing due to lack of 
according to the writer, of handling the word of God. And therefore, they are unable to discern good from evil, truth from falsehood. They cannot recognize false and erroneous teachings when they hear it. So they don't know what to fight for. But also on the other hand, when they do hear and recognize mishandling of the word of God, they have so little regard for the word that they still don't want to stand up for it. No, that's just, uh, hey, let that go. The word could take care of itself. You get handed. You know, like one preacher said, all you have to do, you, you know, he says like this, you don't have to defend a lion. All you got to do is let him loose. He'll defend himself. That's the kind of attitude we have with the scriptures. The word of God. It can defend itself. Is that true? Not according to Jude. We've got to defend it. We've got to stand up for it. We've got to fight for it aggressively. That's what he's saying here. You see. And because we have so little regard for the word of God. To, to see the wisdom of God. See the majesty of God in this. To see how God. Who's living in outer space. Has communicated to us. In, our, in the space that we are. He's given us a message. From another world. And he's brought it down to us so we could understand it. We don't see the word like that. The way we should. So we don't have that concern for the authority and the authenticity of the word of God. My friends, I say to you, I believe that we are in a sad state of affairs when it comes to finding qualified contenders for the faith. Now be sure, we have a lot of folk who delight in hearing elementary principles of the gospel. Oh, they love it. The elementary things of God. Things they learned when they were in Sunday school. Things when they first came to Christ. They love to hear these things. The problem is, that's all they want to hear. The same things that they heard when they became a Christian. They want to hear it again and again and again. That's exactly what the writer of the Hebrews was facing with the Jewish believers to whom he was writing. Although they were at the stage in their Christian life that they needed the milk of the word at one time, they had moved on now. But you know what? These Christians, they were still crying for milk. I want milk. I want milk. Teachers trying to say, hey, at least get some grits or get some corn beef or something. Uh-uh, I want milk. That's the kind of situation that the writer of Hebrews was facing. What they needed and required was food for teenagers, for young adults to cause them to grow. But because they were crying for milk, they were stunted in their growth. Listen to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 5. Concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Now some people read this and say it means that it's a complex teaching. 
Therefore, it's difficult to understand, but that's not the trust of the passage. The trust of the passage, the reason why it's hard to understand, because these people became hard of hearing, they became dull of hearing, they couldn't receive it. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. This is what brought them out of Judaism to Christ in the first place. And you, take, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. Notice that. He's not accustomed to the word of righteousness. The word that has to do with the way we live. Not the way we are born again. That's the elementary things. But the way that we are supposed to live now, that we are Christians, that we are born again people, new creations. You don't know nothing about that. All you want to hear is how to be born again. Not how, I am, to, how am I to live now that I have been born again. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He's not used to it. Why? For he's still an infant. But solid food is for the mature. Who because of practice, notice this now, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Notice that. Practice handling the word of God. That's the reason why people don't move on in spiritual growth. They don't handle the word. They don't read it. They don't study it. At all. Now what about you? Do you have a plan for studying the word of God? Or you still work on the old principle of stick your finger in the Bible and see what it is. Or picking up a promise. That's not studying the word. You will never know the faith in that fashion. You've got to diligently apply yourself to reading and studying the word of God. But then Jude goes on. He describes the opposition. He says in verse 4, he's talking about those to, with whom we must contend now. For certain men. Certain men. Whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Certain men, being already described, already known by God, they have come in among you. That means within the church. They are godless men. Now when they come into the church, they don't put themselves as godless men. They put themselves as godly men. The angels of darkness, the messengers of Satan, dress as messengers of light. They are godless men. Why? They change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. They change the grace of God. What is God's grace? God's grace is a grace that forgives no matter what the sin is. No matter what the problem is. Isn't that right? Without the grace of God, none of us would be here. But these people who teach it, boy, they become legalistic. In order for you to get this, you've got to do that. Today, it's in the form that in order for you to really grow in your grace, you've got to plant a seed. And you've got to plant that seed in the right spot. You know where that spot is? We don't need 
to see, plant no seed in anybody's ministry to grow as a Christian. Distorting the truth. But many people believe it. There are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. These are the men whom the apostles have warned us about long ago, beloved. And have also included their just condemnation and destiny. Notice what Jude says. They have secretly slipped in among you. Slipped in where? Into the local church. Paul warned about it. And you remember we looked at it in Acts 20. He, he wanted to come in among you. How did they do it? Secretly. They didn't do it openly. Subtly. Where did they get this idea from? The father of lies. Satan. That's one of his master strategies. They come into the local church inside the local assembly. And that's where the major problems of the church will arise in these days. From within the church itself. We're not going to have that much problem from outside. We're going to have the problem inside. And begins with the way we handle scripture. Now what kind of men are these? Jude is very specific and very graphic. Notice what he says. They're godless men. He ain't holding back no punches here. He doesn't say he's mistaken. These are ignorant, they might be, but he says they're godless without God. Who are these people are God? Standing in the pulpit preaching the word of God for their own benefit. They're godless, but they're putting them forth as being God, themselves as being godless. They're ungodly men. Now remember, these are the men who have secretly, under false pretense, crept in, sneaked into the church. This means that they do not appear to be ungodly when they first sneak in. But they are nonetheless ungodly. And they will eventually show their colors. What do they do? They change the grace of our God into a license. For immorality. And deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. In other words, they deny by their immoral lifestyle the lordship of Jesus Christ. But they do so in the name of Christ nonetheless. They deny Christ in the name of Christ through the immorality. They live immoral lives while preaching the gospel and while faithfully attending all the church services and functions of the church. But yet, they're living ungodly lives. Jesus is saying, now listen carefully, this is the truth. Jesus and Jude, rather, is saying that such a lifestyle is an attack on the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, I want you to get this. When a person claims to be a godly person, and he preaches the word, and he comes across like he's godly, but he's living an ungodly life secretly, he is, what Paul says here, he is attacking the faith. He is denying a faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And Paul is, Jude is saying here, those are the people that we must fight against. It's an, it's an attack on the fundamentals of the gospel of the truth. 
The church must not allow such godless activities to continue by godless men who nonetheless profess to be godly. Now how, how are we going to discern who these men are? Only if we know the truth and we are sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God ourselves. Otherwise we're going to be fooled by them. And we'll support them in the ministry. Did you know that Jesus was a rich man? If he was day, here, here today, he'd be driving a Rolls Royce or even a Bentley. <clears throat> That's the teaching. And we laugh about it, but Jude is saying, hey, that's the kind of thing we must contend against. Why? Because they are denying the faith that was once for all delivered to them. It just don't have to do with doctrine and teaching. Yes, that's a big part of it, but it's also with our lifestyle. Paul dealt with this kind of twisted thinking in his letter to the Romans. And we believe that we could do things that are sinful just in order to demonstrate the grace of God. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You see, there were those who professed to be Christians but said, if it were true as Paul was teaching, that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, then the more I sin, the more I will allow God's grace to abound in my life. So my abounding sin, sin will actually glorify God. That's twisted thinking, but that's how some people think. Paul puts an end to that twisting of the word of God. He says, and this is what he says, and this is my paraphrase. No way, Jose. If you think and act that way, you have not really been saved in the first place. You have died with Christ to the old way of life if you truly know Christ. Sin has no dominion over you. You cannot live in that fashion. This is what these godless men were doing and teaching in the local church in Jude's day. Jude says this is an attack against the faith once for all delivered to saints. That's the point I want you to get. We cannot allow, we cannot put up with godless living by men who claim to be godly. It's an attack against the faith that was once delivered, once for all delivered to the saints. True believers must ardently, aggressively, and earnestly contend against such attacks. We must not allow ourselves to be absorbed by the mores and the philosophies of a godless society and culture and simply excuse such behavior saying, that's a sign of the times. Oh, you know, we all human, man. That's one of the... It's amazing how so many Christians use that as an excuse for sinning. I just hope, yeah, I just human. We're all human. God's grace comes in to give us the ability to live the way unsaved humans are not supposed to live. A godly life. God wants us, both as individuals, believers, and as local churches, to be pure in life. Because that is what the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints, teaches. Teaches that we should be holy even as God is holy. It teaches that we should flee fleshly lusts. Because if the church is not pure, how can we preach against impurity? If preachers are not moral in their own lives, how can we preach against immorality? We must contend against such practical attacks against the faith, the word of God. 
We must aggressively resist those who teach and practice such godless teachings and live such a godless lifestyle, and we must not support them in it. My friends, Jude's message is for us today. That's the message of the Holy Spirit impressed upon him to, to impress upon us today in this 21st century. Are we listening? Are you listening? Am I listening? We have to. Who do you give your money to? Who do you spend your time listening to? You could be supporting this kind of a thing that Jude is saying that we should contend against. He takes his verses in this short epistle to describe the character of the man who are denying the faith by a godless lifestyle. Not so much by what they teach, well that's included, but by the way they live. We just cannot dismiss the lifestyle of a person who professes to be a Christian, especially a preacher, or just something that, by the way, are casual. No, it's an onslaught against the word of God. The faith wants delivered to the saints. And so Jude wants us to get ready for war, to get ready for battle, to uphold the dignity, the integrity, the infallibility of this word. He tells us in Timothy, we are the pillars of the truth. We are to uphold it and hold it high. The only way we can do that is if we know the word of God. You must know it. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed. Rightly, accurately handling the word of God. Father, thank you for your word. Grant, we pray, that we might listen to the words of Jude and take them to heart and then draw upon the Spirit of God to give us the courage and the boldness to stand, to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.